Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. This is where we provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and life. I'm your host, Jill Schlesinger. Okay, I've got a special Valentine's gift for you, a bonus episode for the month of February. We're talking about love and money. While we spend a lot of time reminding you to talk to your spouse or partner about your money issues, I also want to say that it is important of course, to talk to your kids as well as your aging parents. And so to help you with this, we've got a psychotherapist. His name is Ben Seaman. He'll guide you as to how to start any dialogue about money. Here's our interview with Ben Seaman. You're listening to Jill on Money with Jill Schlesinger. Ben Seaman, welcome to the program. How are you? Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me on your show. It's awesome. Uh, so we start the program with a very important question, and it is, what is your best career or financial decision that you've made so far in your young life? Wow, I love that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was to start tracking my money. When did you start doing that? I didn't want to start my practice, and I realized there was no safety net. And I said, it's either me or I don't know what. And so I educated myself. I read every book on the topic and I put it all into Excel and tracked every asset and every liability. In doing that, I bet you can bring your psychologist brain to it and say the accountability of just going through that process can really change behavior. Absolutely. But the first thing I want to say about it is it made it fun because I was writing these checks to my student loan and saying, I'm throwing this money down the toilet. That's no fun. How can I make this fun? And when I started to turn it around and track it all, I could say, when I write this check, I see my net worth go up. And it was just a little mathematical switch, but it made paying my debt fun. It made knowing how much I have look like something to look forward to. You actually came to your practice, your psychotherapy practice, sort of late in life. I did. So what was that like being a career transitioner in your 30s? Um, I think the main thing was I didn't think anyone would take a therapist seriously until I was a little older anyway. So it was sort of good timing for me. Sometimes it's like a second chance for people. For me, it was like, this is act two and I'm going to nail it. So it's been fun. So we invited you on the program because... We thought that we get so many questions, we field so many questions about how to talk to people you love Mm. about money. Yeah. And here we are in Valentine's month. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm going to say various people because I want to take a couple of different categories. Obviously, the spouse one is important, but I also want to talk to you about how you recommend talking to your aging parents about Mm. money. And how you talk to your kids about money. So wow. let's do let's do a threefer. Yeah. Let's do the obvious one. Spouse. You're dating someone. Things are good. Mm-hmm. At what point do you start sharing your financial aspirations and come clean? On some level, there's no right answer to that. Okay. that people have to follow their comfort zone. Um, but I think the thing underneath all of it is those questions have to be thought of as this conversation has to take care of me, but it has to take care of my partner. So I see some people kind of start really jump into it and like, I need to know that you make 100,000 a year or we can't go any further. And that doesn't feel good. No. And I think even if you don't say it, if that's your perspective, it comes through. And so you have to kind of check yourself and say like, is this a conversation that's bringing us together or not? At the same time, I think another set of people have some shame about I have too much debt or I don't know if I'm my spending habits are what you're going to like. 
And I think you have to kind of find a way to say, well, it's still on me to share everything, you know, not surprise my partner. What happens if you have a roadblock that comes up? You know, maybe it's a little bit easier if you're both in similar circumstances. Uh I think the problems that I've heard about will occur when the two people have such different approaches to money. that is a challenge. Again, it's still about how can this conversation be about both of us? I'm a big fan of this kind of spiritual test of would I really share all my finances with you? And what comes up for you when you think about that concept? You know, some people say that's heteronormative. I'm still a big fan of if my money and your money aren't really, we're not holding it together, that's still somebody is kind of keeping a part of themselves out of the relationship. And I'm not a fan of a black and white, it has to be, but I do like the idea of that test of like, what comes up for me if I picture sharing? What about the idea of if you are coming together as a couple, let's say you've now sort of advanced and you come clean, you've had your discussion, you didn't spring it on someone in a fight or anything. What's your advice for the idea that one person comes in with a load of student debt, Mm. the other person has none? I mean, we've heard from people who say like, well, yeah, she's paying it down. And how do you feel about helping your spouse pay down that outstanding Mm -hmm. debt? So I think in the most ideal situations, I think of the couple as like a little cottage industry that's meant to take in income, but hopefully generate a profit. And not that it's all about money in this world, but we want to save for the future. We want to have money for special things. And I would just like to say, let's just do the full assets and liabilities and say, like, does this couple generate a profit? I don't mean to sound crass, but let's just make sure, are we living within our means, addressing the debt as much as saving whatever is left over afterwards so that we're actually on a path someplace and not just making it up? One therapist told me that the problem around money that that he sees is that many therapists will sort of say, well, you know, you're a spender and she's a saver. And so (laughs) let's come to the middle and have some sort of Uh negotiation. And his idea was, but that's baloney, because really there's one way that's actually the smartest way, which is there is a game plan. And you know what? If you spend too much money, if you spend more than you make or you're running up credit card debt, that's not good for the family. And it's the therapist's responsibility to call that person out. What do you think? My personal approach would be that there's a spender and the saver in the relationship for a reason. There's usually one person who has the role of taking more risks. And there's one who is looking out for the cracks in the surface, Mm -hmm. whatever the risks are for this couple. And both of those have a role in saying we have to preserve something, but we also have to spend it. It's not fun to just save it all. I know, right? I think underneath all that is like both people need to get to know the backstory. If somebody is a spendthrift, maybe there's a reason. Maybe they were told no their whole childhood and this is their chance to say, I finally get mine. If somebody can't spend money because they're terrified of losing their savings, you know, what happened to that person? You know, it's so funny. So I have a whole chapter in my new book about basically how people pass along their money habits to uh-huh. their kids. And it can really, I found it looked like two very specific cases where you have like sort of the controlling parent who comes, probably doesn't come from much, mm-hmm. right? Right. And that you as the child hear these these messages and everything is about like, you don't appreciate what you have and I mm-hmm. killed myself to get you here right. and you can't spend any money. That person comes out of childhood into adulthood and has one of two reactions that I encountered. One right. is passes along that same curmudgeonly yes. negativity around right. money. But 
then there's the reaction against, right. which is the enabling, cannot mm-hmm. say no to the kids, right. doesn't want the kid to ever experience what you experience. Oh, right. that, that whole thing of right. coming from scarcity is just bad news, right. right? So how can the two partners, especially when we now have kids, let's move into the kid mm-hmm. category, how can we get them on the same page about the kinds of conversations they have with their kids about money? That's a great question. I. I mean, I think a lot of it is just understanding what is your backstory and checking, like, do I have an eight-year-old in me that will never suffer any denial because it feels like the devastation, and so I'm not going to put my kid through that? Do I need to do a little work on myself and ask myself, am I coming from this kind of eight-year-old place? Or, you know, I think that's where, like, having a plan, especially maybe with a financial planner, so you bring some objectivity into it really helps because then you can say, all right, it's not crazy to save money, but there could be a little flexibility on both sides. And so when you say, what is your backstory and do I need to do work? Is it the case, generally speaking, that once you sort of get into that, just by even saying it and exploring it with yourself or your partner, even a friend, Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily go to therapy, but if you just start to articulate that, is that when you start to see a bit of a shift? Absolutely. And, and I don't think everyone has to run off to therapy because they were told, no, you can't have that thing when you're 15. But I think starting the conversation gives people a lot of insight into where you're coming from. When I found out my partner, for instance, grew up not knowing uh, you know, how the finances were in his family, he developed an anxiety about it. Now he's an accountant because he wants to know where the money is. That's hysterical. A- and I'm sort of glad to have him because he's taught me the value of a sale. Mm-hmm. Or to me, I always thought a sale is sort of like second best. Oh, and, that's funny. I never thought you could buy an item of quality on sale. I just assumed it's on sale for a reason. How about if you're going through a hard time financially? As a parent? You as mean? a parent. Like, let's say you and I are married and one of us loses our job. Mm-hmm. And let's just pretend that we've got, you know, teenagers and 10, 12, 14 yeah. year old. How much do we talk about I mean, this? I absolutely think you have to be transparent. We all hide our emotions to protect our partners and our family members, and very few people are fooled by it. Mm. But oversharing is a totally different thing. I, I think letting everyone in the family know, I'm stressed because I don't have a job and I'm scared, that helps people know, oh, mom's not mad at me. She's just stressed about work. And then what about the idea that if you put that stress out there that the kid worries about you? Well, I mean, maybe you have to have a conversation about what part of that is the kid's job to worry about. You know, just really explicit. You're 15. You need to be a 15-year-old right now. Mm-hmm. You can be scared for me, but I don't want you to worry. I want to shift um, to how to talk to your aging parents. Mm. I find this to be an incredibly yeah. difficult phase. Yep. I think one piece of the conversations that we want to have with our parents can seem like there, there's, you know, you want to say like, oh, is everything okay financially? Basically, yeah. you want to just, you want to uncover that yep. because it's going to be your responsibility right. anyway, right? Yeah. How do you do that respectfully yeah. without making them think like, you just want my money or right. why do you, or no, or just no. What is a door opener? You know, you might start with, I heard on the Jill show that we should be talking about this. I don't know. What do you think, mom? Mm-hmm. And and just have like a third party uh, source of information be the starting point so that it doesn't have to come off like I'm just after your money. That's good. Okay, let's say you get... But, you know, just to add to that, I would say the the real thing is, Mom, I'm starting to get scared. I don't know what your situation is. And this feels like an awkward conversation. 
and I've avoided it because I didn't want you to feel uncomfortable, but I'm also realizing I want to be able to take care of you and make sure you're okay, and, and I don't know how to do that without this conversation. And what if mom says, don't worry, everything's fine? <laughs> You'd have to sort of ask yourself, does that reassure me? Or does it feel like half an answer? And, and can I come back and say, mom, that didn't feel like a whole answer. Is there something about this conversation that's hard for you? Oh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it is, because I don't want to talk to my kid about my death, and I'm running out of money, and I don't want to put it on you. And so, mom, that makes so much sense. And maybe this can just be a starting point, but we could both think about, is there a way this conversation could be easier or maybe even leave us feeling better? Are you a fan of saying, you know, I know you don't have a plan. Would you like it if I helped you, like the way that I come to the doctor with you? Do you want us to like go talk to your accountant or a financial planner? Should we we chatting? Because you're linking it to other positive experiences. And then what about if the parents are really squeamish about their own death and they don't want to actually have conversations about estate planning. I think all kind of adult communication comes down to here's the impact you're having on me, whether it's positive or negative. And it's like, mom, if we don't have these conversations, that leads me in a really scared place. Is that the result you want? Mm. And at the end of the day, you really can't tell anyone what to do. Of course. But you can move them by showing them what's in your heart. I like the idea of saying the impact of your action or inaction yeah. leaves me in a scary and vulnerable right. place. Because that's moving for people. Right. What are some classic love and money mistakes to avoid? Number one, love equals money. Mm-hmm. Love does not equal money. Absolutely. Okay. Um, the phrase I hear all the time is, after all I've done for you. Oh, God. It's I hate like, that. Just listen for that emotional blackmail and, and don't do it. I like that. Uh, and who says, after all I've done for you? I, it's the, someone who is martyring themselves, doing extra without checking their own resentment levels. Mm. I I really, I find that martyrdom is so annoying to yeah. me. Really? That's a, that's a trigger for myself. Yeah. Mm. What if there has been a, um, I tell the story in my book about a, financial infidelity Mm, which is fascinating to me it's like a betrayal yes how do you get over that betrayal i it's i think it's all about giving this day in court it's saying this is what you did this is how it felt to me this is the story i made up about it and this is what i want Mm -hmm. and what if you don't know what you want because what you really want is you want to beat the crap out of the person forever and (laughs) it's not going to work very well Would you, and I would translate that. I would say, what I want is for you to feel as bad as I did so I can trust that you won't do this again. And if there's been a slip up, if the person's like, oh, I almost did it, yeah. should they tell you mm. or not? So this is interesting because I once had a, a friend who's a shrink and she says, you know, the big mistake people make about sexual infidelity is that they, her feeling was. They rush to absolve they rushed, themselves. Exactly. Absolutely. Oh, I want to tell you what happened. Like, yeah. you know what? Don't tell me. No. Like, you wanted to kiss someone at a convention? That's no. your problem. Live with right. your guilt. What about the financial infidelity? Same thing. It's Same like, deal? Like, what's the impact of this confession? Are you doing this to, to clear your conscience? while devastating your partner yet again, mm-hmm. terrifying them again. Mm-hmm. Why don't you live with that guilt, let it direct you in the right direction, and clean up your act. And if you can't clean up your act, you gotta come clean and then say, I can't clean up my act and, and live I under the terms. I suppose you could put a window on it and say, it's been a year and I still don't know how to get out of debt. I, mm-hmm. gotta, I gotta 
give us a, a status report here. So before I let you go, we started the interview and I said, what was your best financial decision? And you are now a spreadsheet king, keeping track of uh-huh. all of your expenses. Yep. What is the worst financial or career decision you've made? I would say a lot of it has to do with me spending money on my business and not running it past my partner, uh-huh. who I'm lucky enough that he's very financially savvy. And I'm, bar- I'm embarrassed to say I bought a pay-per-click campaign for $5,000 that was very s- sort of a scam. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to say I completely fell for a scam, but I should have run that past somebody. Someone that would just say, is there another way to do this? Do um, I have to call you doctor? Absolutely not. Okay. I'm going to call you doctor. Dr. Love. Whatever you love. Ben Seaman. Thank you so much for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to our guest, Ben Seaman. Don't forget, we drop new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, sometimes a little extra one like this. If you have any questions or you'd like to get in touch with us, just send an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. And of course, don't forget to order the book. Just go to JillOnMoney.com and click on the link that's called The Book. You can buy a book for anyone in your life. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is the most fabulous executive producer in the world. We are distributed by Cadence 13, and we'll talk to you next week. 